This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Well, I would just encourage you to grab your Bibles and uh, open them to the book of 2 Kings. And even though this did not begin as a series, yet here we are again for the third week studying Elisha, one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. And He's one of my favorites for a couple of reasons. One, because initially he was not identified as a mover and a shaker. I mean, he was not a child prodigy that you just knew was destined for spiritual greatness. Rather, here's what he was. He was a plain, common old Joe that was living with his parents, working on a farm. The second reason I'm intrigued with, with Elisha was because the miracles he performed were so non-traditional so different. And, and, and today, we want to talk about one of those miracles that at first blush seemed like Elisha was just showing off. It was almost as if he was saying, look at me. I'm going to wow you. And I thought, you know, what, what purpose does this miracle really have? But as I studied this miracle this past week, I, I, I realized that this miracle has deep spiritual implications that certainly convicted me and, and more than likely will uh, convict you as well. Now, since this miracle centers around someone who lost something, let me just say that many of us, and not just senior adults, I mean, we're supposed to lose something, but young people, some of you young punks, you spend a good part of your life looking for stuff that you've misplaced. And probably the number one item that we misplaced would be our phones. Um, and, and misplacing our phone, it's not just a phone anymore. It's our computer. It's, uh, you know, email. It's our clock because we don't wear watches. And, and so when we misplace our phone, we go into panic mode. The next most frequent item we probably lose would be our car keys. And, you know, how am I going to get my car started? And, but it doesn't stop with our phones and, and keys. You would be surprised at all of the stuff that you leave here in this church. You want to hear some of the items? Um, we, we find your Bibles. We have a stack of Bibles that have never been claimed here. Uh, we, we find jewelry here. I, I don't know what you do. Take off your rings, your earrings. I don't know. Uh, and, uh, you know, your, your lost jewelry has, has funded many meals for the staff. You know, we sell them, we pawn them off, and then we can go out to eat. And I'm just kidding. We really don't do that. Uh, but, but then we also find a lot of coffee mugs, travel mugs. You leave your mugs here, and we have a cabinet full of mugs. Uh, we find kids' toys. We find jackets. We find glasses. We find your shoes. What do you do? Why do you take off your shoes and leave them here? Uh, we find uh, knives. I, I've got knives in my office. I don't know you have your knives out. You leave them on the seats. And, uh, you know, my philosophy is you can never, a guy can never have too many knives. And so I've got a bunch in my office that you haven't claimed. And, and actually, one of the dumbest stories of someone losing something took place not too awful long ago. Someone in this church, and, and uh, I will at least uh, temporarily protect their identity, but, but, but they lost their wallet. They looked everywhere in their house. Their house has an upstairs and a downstairs. They looked high and low. It was nowhere to be found. But then this person from this church got the bright idea to check their back pocket. And it was exactly where it was supposed to be. Would you like to know who it was? 
I, I can be bribed. You know, a gift certificate someplace will... Now, here's who it was. It was your pastor's wife's husband. Would you please encourage me and let me know you've done something just as dumb? Anybody? No? Oh, thank you. Two people. Well, our lesson today is not about losing our wallet or our keys or our cell phone or our coffee mug. Our lesson today talks about losing an axe head. And to make this lesson spiritually practical, our focus will be on the danger of losing our spiritual edge. Let me set the stage for a lesson. When Elisha first came on to the scene in 1 Kings, he spent the first part of his ministry being mentored by Elijah. Well, now Elisha is doing the same with other young prophets. He's raising up the next generation of leaders. And, and I can't emphasize enough the importance of this. It seems that we as Christians are, are so busy, we're so disinterested that as a whole, we've gotten away from the concept of mentoring new believers. We, we get people saved. What do we do? We leave them on the, the delivery table to fend for this, uh, themselves and many times die. But Elijah invested in young Elisha. The Apostle Paul invested in young Timothy. Jesus invested in 12 guys that came to be known as his disciples. And now Elisha is investing time and in mentoring the next generation of prophets that would come after him. And as we look at the way that Elisha mentored these young prophets, we see him doing it in two ways. First of all, there was the formal side. There was the classroom training. And Elisha had started what today would probably be the equivalent of a Bible college. But, but, uh, but Elisha also knew that classroom training wasn't enough. There, there needed to be the practicum, the internship, and, and the practical side of, of training. And and God was blessing Elisha's efforts. The training college was growing. In fact, what led us to today's miracle is that they had outgrown the building where they were meeting. Let's pick up our reading, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. There was the classroom training. They had outgrown it. Verse 2. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole. And let us build a place there for us to live or to meet. And, and he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. So there's the practical side. Elisha didn't, didn't just say, well, you know, I, I, I've served my time. I'm now the big dog. I'm the head hog. And so I will supervise from the shade. No. Verse 4 says, and he went with them. Here's what prompted the miracle that we will study. Then they went to the Jordan, began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Now notice, when this happened, the young prophet did not say a bad word. Nor did he say, oh my God. I wish we as followers of Christ would be a bit more careful about using God's name in vain. We're so careful, or we're so careless about it, and something happens. We say, oh my God! So what did the young prophet say? 
I want you to pay attention. It, it may seem to initially contradict what I just said. He said, oh, my Lord. Now, you need to look. Look at the word Lord. It's not capitalized. So what does this mean? This is not referring to Lord God. You know, back during these days, uh, Lord was a term of respect. And so this young Bible college student, he lost this axe head. It went flying off. And so there, Elisha, he, he's, uh, he, he's saying, Lord or, or Sir, goes on and says, it was borrowed. I borrowed this. Now, I can't say that I ever remember losing an axe head. I, I, I did lose a hatchet a couple of years ago. I had been cleaning out some stuff at my dad's shop, and there was a hatchet, and, and Jace, being all boy, decided he needed that hatchet. Um, and for a, a few weeks, much to his mama's dismay, he was attached to the handle of that hatchet. Wherever he went, so went the hatchet. And, and you know, found out there are all kinds of uses for, for, for hatchets. And it, it would end up, seems like, at our, at our kitchen table, or if we'd go to the farm, uh, he would take the hatchet and chop down some little saplings. And, but one day we went to look for that hatchet. It was gone. I mean, we looked high and low. We looked everywhere. In fact, for the last two years, honestly, I, I have off and on looked for this hatchet, looked in cabinets, racking my brain where it was. And I, I just figured, you know, maybe Jace had left it by a tree out at the farm and, and it'd never be found again. Well, a couple of weeks ago, our dog, Sassy, crawled underneath our bed. And um, so we kind of crawled under as much as our wide bodies would allow and tried to drag her out. And guess, guess what we found under my wife's side of the bed? <laughs> that hatchet. That hatchet. And I don't know exactly what she was planning. She won't tell me. But now before I go to bed, I say my prayers, confess all my sins, get saved all over again, and uh, want to make sure I'm ready because that may be my last night. I go to sleep in fear. But now, now for us, losing a, a, a hatchet or an axe head seems like such a minor problem. And, you know, after looking for the, for the hatchet for several months, we went to Walmart. We bought another one for, I think it was 12 bucks. But at this time in history, iron was very expensive, hard to come by. And, and we assumed that this young prophet studying under Elisha was a typical poor college student eating ramen noodles and mac and cheese and, and generic brand cornflakes. And someone called him a not-for-profit prophet. But, but anyway, this, this student probably didn't have a lot of money. And so when they decided to go out and, and cut down some trees to have the logs to build a new building for their classroom... He had to borrow an axe. By the way, I always hate to borrow things because I end up breaking it. Anybody like that? I just, I hate to borrow stuff. And, but, but can you imagine that this young, poor college student, his panic went when his borrowed axe head goes flying off the handle, disappears into the Jordan River, which obviously, obviously was deep enough and probably muddy enough to where the axe head was gone forever. When we were in Israel a, a, a couple of years ago, and, and, and I told this right after we got back, but it bears re repeating, we, we visited the Jordan River as we always do, and I baptized a good number of people from this church as I always do, and, and um, 
it was just, this was the first time it had ha ever happened, but uh, there, there were other people there along the banks of the Jordan River that, that saw me baptizing people. And, and so some of them came up and they asked if I would be willing to baptize them. And of course, I was happy to. And there were others that didn't ask. They just got in line. And, and so I kept baptizing people as long as they come up. And, and uh, to begin with, you know, I, when I baptize someone, I want to make sure that they truly know Christ, have a relationship with Him. And, and so uh, some spoke English and, and I found out a few spoke Spanish. And so we were all good there. But then we had people wanting to be baptized from Russia and Moldova and the Philippines and other countries where I couldn't speak their language. They couldn't speak mine. And so, you know, they came in. We couldn't communicate. So we just smiled at each other. I just pushed them under the water and baptized them in the name of Jesus. And, um, but, but that whole time, there were fish that were literally nibbling on my legs. They're in the Jordan River. And, and uh, you know, I ended up baptizing, I don't know how many people. It was a bunch of people. So I was in there quite a while. And and when I got out, I, I was curious if I would have any flesh left on my legs. I mean, those fish were hungry, and I'm just thankful they were not piranhas. But, but, but anyway, all of that to say that the Jordan River, where we baptized, and you've got this you know, idyllic uh, scene where, where you think it's going to be just a beautiful river so clear, it was muddy. You, you couldn't see anything in, in that river, and, and, it, and it was super deep. And, and so probably... The axe head flew into water that was deep and murky and muddy. And that axe head was probably gone forever. So again, that would have been no big deal to us. We would have gone to producers, Meek, Sutherland's, bought another one for, what, 20 bucks. But this young college student obviously could not do that. And so when the axe head went flying into the water, it threw him into a panic, and, and he cried out in frustration to Elisha and said, my Lord, you, you know, sir, the worst thing that could have possibly happened did happen. I've lost the accent that I borrowed. Elisha, what do I do? What do I do? Well, Elisha had compassion on this distraught young man, and, and this opened the door to this strange miracle. In verse 6, the man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Now, this is not my main point, but I think I need to spend just a minute here. I believe that this story clearly shows that our big God that created the heavens and the earth really cares about little details. Details such as a lost axe head. Here's what that means for us. If you have a headache, God cares. If your car won't start, God cares. If you can't find your wallet, even though it's in the pocket of your pants that you're wearing, God cares. He may be doubled over laughing, but God cares. He cares when you're afraid. He cares when you're stressed. He cares when the finances are not there for you. He cares when you're worried about the direction that your child is going. And, and in this story, when the axe head flew off that handle and it caused this young Bible college student to panic, God cared. Now let me try to take this miracle and narrow the focus so it has some relevancy for our lives. 
You know, obviously today most of us are not feeling a lot of stress because we lost an axe head. But as I said at the beginning of our study, I do wonder if the reality for some of us is that we've lost, here it is, we've lost the cutting edge in our walk with God. And so for this lesson to really have any benefit to us, there, that there's a question that requires honesty on our part. And actually, it's a two-part question. Here's the first part of the question. Have you, listen, have you lost your spiritual edge? And, and I believe this deserves a yes or no answer. Yes or no. Have you lost your spiritual edge? And then here's the, the follow-up question. How did you lose that spiritual edge? When did it happen? What, what event brought it about? Was it just laziness? You got careless? Was, was it the stress from the coronavirus? What, was it discouragement? Did, did someone say something to you that hurt you and got you off track? How did you, how did we lose our spiritual edge? If you've lost your spiritual edge, God is in the business of restoration. He wants to restore that edge back. One of my pet peeves is a knife that has a dull edge. And, you know, I carry a pocket knife with me at all times, and I don't like a dull pocket knife. And in our kitchen, uh, you know, I'm not much of a cook, but sometimes Faith will trust me to help with something that's impossible to mess up, and sometimes she'll have me do some knife work and and if the knife is dull, I can't take it. I have to stop and sharpen it. And a week ago, we, we worked up some strawberries. And, and, you know, strawberries, it's not like you need a really sharp knife. But I couldn't take the dull knives. And so as I do several times a year, I got out every knife from the knife drawer, which is probably about 10 of them. And, and I sharpened every knife in the house. And, and Faith came to me a few hours later with a Band-Aid on her finger. And she said, thanks, Joe, for sharpening our knives. And... Uh, Spiritually speaking, I believe it really grieves God when He sees that we've lost our spiritual edge. And I, I, I just wonder this morning if we would be <clears throat> honest, if we wouldn't have to admit that there was a time in our lives when we were more into the things of God than we are today. For some of us, maybe there was a time when we had a passion for prayer. We would get up early and we would pray. We would pray on and off throughout the day. We would pray for a lot of people that... I wonder how many of us would have to just say, you know what, we haven't had a significant prayer time for a long time. For some of us, there might have been a time when we couldn't put down God's Word, and we wanted to read it, we wanted to study it, but over time, that passion left us, and you know, we might read the little devotional that the church provides, or we might read a chapter a day to keep the devil away. That way we can go check, you know, check that off our list. But there's not a love or passion for the Word. And for others of us, and even though let me be clear that Christianity is not about following a list of do's and don'ts, but I've found that many times when we lose our spiritual edge, we quit serving. You know, when we have a passion for God, the natural outflow is we want to serve. We want to use our gifts and, and talents to bless others. And now it's like, well, I'll help once in a while, but I don't want to commit. You know, some of us, we might be honest and notice that our values have eroded. We used to have strong Christian values, and we thought, hey, I'm not going to do that because that's wrong, and 
that's not healthy for me, and I'm not going to say that because that's wrong. But before long, we started cutting some corners, taking shortcuts, doing things that we shouldn't do. And you know, I say you, but the reality is that it can happen to any one of us, and I'm not exempt from this, and and we have a spiritual enemy. His mission is to kill, to steal, to destroy everything that's dear to the heart of God. You know, I love the calling that God has placed on my life, and I've got a lot of hobbies, but but I I can't imagine doing anything else full-time than what God has called me to do. But I'll admit that at times ministry, you know, this, this whole thing called ministry seems to beat the life out of me. And, and if I'm not careful, just being honest, I, I find myself losing my spiritual edge. And one of the men that I respect so much, Bill Hybels, who, who pastors Willow Creek Community Church near Chicago, and I've heard him speak different times, but once he opened his heart to some leaders and he said this, and, and this statement just resonated within me, he said, the way I was doing the work of God destroyed the work of God in me. Sorry if this disappoints you, but on occasion I've realized that as I've come up here to pray before church on a Sunday morning, I realize that I haven't prayed very much at all during the week. At other times, I, I realize, you know, the Bible, my Bible reading, I try to do it early in the morning, but Sometimes my Bible reading becomes a search for sermon ideas. Okay, what am I going to preach this week? And so I I read it with that in mind instead of just being fed by the living Word. And so there have been times when when I've been jolted into reality that even though I'm a full-time pastor and and I try to take seriously the job of, of leading this church and you know, I, I try to get here early in the morning and, you know, I try to put in my 50 to 60 hours a week in ministry, you know, like, like, like you do. But there have been those times when I come to realize that even though I'm a full-time pastor, yet I've become a part-time follower of Christ that has lost his spiritual passion. Maybe you, you become a full-time parent, but a part-time follower of Jesus. Or you become a full-time business person, but a part-time follower of Christ. And you know, you didn't mean to. You didn't mean to fall back and, and become addicted again, fall into patterns. Uh, you didn't mean to drift away. You didn't mean to allow your standards and values to be watered down. You didn't mean to relax your prayer life, your Bible study. You didn't mean to pursue the emptiness of material possess- possessions. But I think we all, at some point, we have to say we've lost our spiritual edge. So for the remaining of our time together, I want to talk about how to get our spiritual edge back. There are two statements I want to make. Number one, we need to be honest where we lost it. You know, in verse 6, we, we, we see that Elisha asked the young, pro, the young prophet, where did the axe head fall? There was a specific place where the young prophet had lost that axe head. And when it comes to regaining our, our spiritual edge, we need to be honest. We need to admit where we lost it. And, you know, you're all smart people. And if you look back, you could probably say, yeah, I remember where I took the wrong turn. You know, I started hanging with some friends and let them influence me. Or, or I got off track because I dropped the discipline. Or, and again, Christianity is not about a list of things you've got to do. Don't take that from this lesson. But, but when we love God with a passion, the fruit will be evident. 
And some of you, and you don't know how many times I hear this, you got hurt by somebody in the church. Maybe you thought the pastor ignored you. He said something that offended you. Maybe it was a friend, and, and you became like, you know, hey, if people in the church are going to act that way, just forget it. And, and, and what happens is, is our heart begins to grow cold. And so the first thing we need to do is to be honest where we lost our spiritual edge. The second thing that I believe this text would teach us, just a statement, is God really wants to restore the spiritual edge back to us. He wants to restore the edge back to us. 1 Chronicles 28, 9 says, For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. If you seek Him, He will be found. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus was speaking to the church of God holiness. Did you know that the church of God holiness was in the Bible? Uh, That's right. In in these letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor or the modern-day country of Turkey, these were literal letters to actual churches, but they were also representative of all the churches down through the ages. So, So Jesus said to the church of God holiness as well as other churches, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. But you walked away. This is, this is from the Message Bible. Interesting how Eugene Peterson put it. But you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? A Lucifer fall. Well, listen to verse 5. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So if you've lost your spiritual cutting edge, then turn from your sin, turn from your apathy, turn from your complacency, turn from your selfishness. The Bible says, repent and do the things you did at first. You know, one of the miracles that Elisha performed was when he healed Naaman, who was sick sick with leprosy and And the Bible says that Naaman dipped in the river seven times and he was healed and, and his skin was restored and and I was actually studying this, and on, on my Bible study program, there is a place where you can go to the Hebrew words or the Greek words if you're in the New Testament, and it gives the whole background, and it just gives a lot of depth there. But, but, but the Hebrew word that's used for the word restore is the word, the equivalent, shub, which would be, uh, you know, S-H-U-W-B, shub which literally means to recover. I believe that God wants to shoot some people. Marriages that are so messed up, so broken, can be shoobed, recovered. Means that if you have children that have strayed so far from God and are in so much darkness, they can be recovered. Shub means Your depression can be driven back and you can be recovered. I want to close with a personal story. Um, The first days of January this year, I don't remember, second, third, fourth, I don't remember, I went to my office early one morning. I made my coffee as I always do with bold. uh, Went to my computer and moved the mouse so that the computer would wake up go off the sleep mode. But when the monitor lit up, there was an error message on the screen and something to the effect that 
there had been a hard drive failure. I rebooted my computer several times, and I don't know a lot, but I knew enough to try to start it in the safe mode, but that didn't work either. And so when Jim got into the office, I, uh, I turned it over to him, and I wasn't too worried yet because Jim's my hero, and he can do miracles with computers. And, and, and by the way, if you have a computer problem, don't, don't just flood Jim with all your computer requests. And that's what happens, you know, hey, Jim, I got a computer problem. Can you fix it? And sometimes he can't even do his work trying to fix computers. But anyway, uh, I wasn't too worried when Jim started working on it because uh, I knew Jim could handle it. And plus, I had a backup drive. So if my hard drive had indeed failed... I would just go to my backup drive to get all of my information of nearly 26 years of ministry here at this church. And, you know, we'd put protective measures in place for potential catastrophic hard drive failures such as this. Jim worked with it, finally came to the determination that the hard drive was dead. It had failed. He tried recovery software, did everything but nothing, and... So still very confident because of the safeguards we'd put in place, he went to the backup drive and began to try to retrieve the files. And I noticed it was taking Jim a long time. And I still remember the uh, sick look on his face as he came to me and um, he said, Joe, it appears that your backup drive has also failed. And I remember Jim said, I, I, I felt like I had to go to the bathroom and throw up because I knew how big that was. And 25 years worth of records, baptisms, weddings, baby dedications, hundreds of funerals that I've preached, and I don't know, a thousand or more sermons were basically gone. I did have a Dropbox account, it was, but it was just the free version of Dropbox, and so it didn't have nearly the capacity for all the information on my computer. I put a few things on there. And, and talk about devastated. And I know this is nothing. This is so small in comparison to the horrible things that some of you have gone through or are currently going through, but at the moment, this seemed pretty big to me. And I, I, I personally don't know about deep depression. I I know about discouragement, maybe some very just low levels of occasional depression. Yet for the next several months, this took the wind out of my sails. January, February, March, April, May. Wanting to make sure that I had exhausted all my possibilities, I took my hard drive to a local computer establishment here in town for the next two to three months. He did everything he could to access my files. I mean, he was doing stuff that I'd never heard of, and one day I went there to check on it. He said, Joe, here's what I've done. I put it in the freezer. I said, what does that have to do? He said, sometimes when you put it on the freezer, in, in the freezer and get it out and thawed out, then sometimes you're able to work with it. And, Finally, after two, two and a half months, I don't remember exactly, he said, Joe, we can't do anything. It's, it's dead. So I, I, I then heard, you know, you hear somebody says, well, this person can do wonders with computers. And I, at that point, I was just kind of, if I could have found a, a faith healer and had him lay hands on it, I was about ready to go that route. But 
So I heard some of somebody at at, at 3M there in Nevada, and and uh, they actually contacted me because they'd heard from somebody in the church and said I'm willing to look at it. So I sent it over there, and he gave it his best shot. Again, nothing. I figured that the fat lady had sung. <laughs> the ball game was over. I guess that's probably not politically correct to say that anymore, but. I decided to try one more option. I did uh, begin to do research into a place that, that specializes in data recovery, and this was out of state and in the state of Ohio. And I, I read and just wanted to make sure they were legit, and so I began to communicate. Sent them an initial email and just kind of explained to them the, the situation that I was in, and and uh, they said, well, we don't know. I mean, we've got we've to gotta see the hard drive, but there's a chance. They said, sounds like just from what you've talked about, there's a chance. Because once on a hard drive, you know, always on a hard drive as a whole, unless it's been, you know, of course, damaged. And so um, I, um, you know, I sent it in and, and they, they received it. They said, we need your consent. And so I gave an electronic signature giving them the green light to just take the first initial step to analyze. And, um, you know, they, uh, uh, again, they, they said, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty confident that this is going to turn out pretty well. And um, within three days or so, they sent me another email. And, and uh, in that email, they had given a list of all the files on the hard drive that they had found. And there are about 30-some thousand, 35,000 files on that hard drive, and they, uh, they had a list, and they were not clickable, so I couldn't recover anything, but 250 files or so, 240-some, I think, were located in damaged sectors of the drive, and so they were corrupted, and, and they said, you know, it can't be recovered. But they said, here's the good news, that whereas you've got around 250 files that are unrecoverable, there are around 35,000 files that are recoverable. I, I'll admit to you, I was, I was cautious. I was skeptical. You know, I, I didn't want to, as the old-timers used to say, count my chickens before they're hatched. And, uh, but I was starting to get a little bit excited, so I had to sign another consent form for them to proceed. And they began the official process of recovery. And Within a couple of days, they had uploaded all of those files onto an external hard drive. They FedExed it to me, and when I received that package there in the office, I, uh, I was nervous. <laughs> I, um, I opened it, and, and I took that external hard drive, the cable, plugged it into the USB port on my computer. I found the icon, clicked on... Seagate hard drive. And you know how when you're, you're really nervous, you don't want to look at anything? And it was like when I clicked on it, I didn't want to look. But I finally opened my eyes, and um, I began to see the files of sermons and baptisms, baby dedications, the dates that we had less, uh, laid to rest and said goodbye to many of our members, all of those files, except for those 250, and I got to looking into those files, those 250, a lot of them were program files, and we, we already had the, the software to put that back on. But all of those files were exactly as they had been, even in the same format, 
six months ago before the catastrophic failure of the hard drive. All I had to do was click on them and they were there. And I'll admit, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to tell this story publicly because for five months it was painful. And, and again, I know in the, in the big picture of life and eternity, this was such a small thing. But as I, as I worked on this lesson this week, I began to realize that what those data recovery experts were able to do and, and recover my information off of a hard drive that had a catastrophic failure, that is exactly what God wants to do, what God can do, and what God will do for those of us that maybe have had a catastrophic spiritual failure. Maybe it hasn't been a catastrophic spiritual failure, but maybe it was just something as simple as losing our spiritual cutting edge. We may think that it can't be recovered. We may think that we're damaged goods, We may think that that axe head has disappeared into deep water, murky and muddy water, never be recovered, but God specializes in doing what no one else can do. So as we wrap things up this morning, my question to you is, is this, what needs to be recovered in your life? What needs to be recovered in your life? You know, God knows. Maybe it's your purity. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe you've just become lazy towards spiritual things. Maybe you've become very careless with the words that you say. Maybe you use God's name in vain or you uh, seem to be pretty good at bringing in some four-letter words that you shouldn't be saying. What needs to be recovered in your spiritual life today? Whether it's catastrophic or whether it's just a little small thing, God specializes in recovering that. So as we pray this morning, could you just seek God? Because if you seek God, what does Scripture say? He will be found. If your edge, spiritual edge, has become dull, would you just repent? Say, God, here I am. I'm coming to you, the almighty God who can recover, who can shub anything. Would you just come to Him today? Seek Him. I promise you, He will be found. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.